Watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. We gasp at near misses. We wonder at the dexterity and timing. In most cases, there's a net underneath, so if they fall, they jump up and bounce back to the trapeze. In Christ, we live on the trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, look at how they live, how they love one another. But what happens when we slip? You see, when somebody falls and it's wide open, why are you judging them? You're a sinner too. You just have a different sin and it's being clothed now. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God's grace is a response to our sin. And this week, Charles Tapp shares a new installment in his messages titled, The Gospel Of, by helping to unravel the misunderstandings of what grace is and isn't, and just how remarkable it truly is. With his message, the gospel of grace. Before we plunge too far into our message today, I feel that it would behoove us if we simply pause for a moment to explain what we mean when we talk about the gospel. The English term gospel comes from an old English word, God's spell, which is translated from the Greek Evangelion, which simply means good tidings or good news. Evangelion was used in the Greek world for the announcement of good tidings or good news. For instance, having experienced victory in battle, that was Evangelion, good news. Or when a Roman ruler was being inaugurated, that was Evangelion. But it was during the time of the early church that euangelion, good news, soon became a technical term for the goodness about Jesus Christ. Over time, this term came to be used not only as that which was preached or proclaimed about Jesus, but also it referred to the written record about Jesus that we now know as the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here is when we need to be very careful when we start referring to things, even things within Scripture, as the gospel. For too many of us use the word gospel with a very broad brush. For the gospel is not a set of doctrinal beliefs. The gospel is not a, a system that has been designed to appease God, to gain our salvation through our own works or through our own effort. The gospel is not about what you and I have done. The gospel defines rather what Jesus has done. The apostle Paul, I believe, provides us with the clearest summation in scripture as to what the gospel really is. We read a portion of it in our scripture reading earlier, but I wanna go back and read a small portion again. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one to verse four. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the what? Gospel, 
which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless, Paul says, you believed it in what? Vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was what? Buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And when we read this portion of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the term gospel here is not a word used to describe some broad concept, but rather Paul defines the gospel, the good news, as a very specific idea. When you read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, here's what I believe Paul was saying. Let's take a look at this, this definition of the gospel. Look at what it says. The gospel represents the plan that God has designed, here it is, to rescue sinful humanity from eternal separation with him. That's the gospel. Prophecy, as good as it is, even though it is contained within Scripture, is not the gospel. Doctrine, even though needed in the life of the church, is not the gospel. Here is what the gospel is. Jesus died, was buried in a tomb, rose on the third day and lives forevermore to make intercession for you and for me. That's the good news. Too many times we use the term gospel to mean whatever is in this book, but Paul makes it clear that's what the gospel is. So when we preach this book, it must always be preached in the context of what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me. And the reason why this is called the gospel, the good news, is because it is God's response to some bad news. The bad news that Paul talked about in Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and, and fallen, what? Sure, the glory of God. The bad news that he mentions in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the what? gift of God is eternal life. And that word gift in Romans 6, 23 is the word charis. It is the word for grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God says you can now have eternal life. That's the gospel. What humankind deserves as a result of its disobedience is death. But because of what Jesus has done, you and I now have a right to eternal life. And if that's not good news, I don't know what is. And because Jesus' death and burial and resurrection placed us in a position to receive not what we deserve, which is the gospel, then at the very foundation of the gospel, what makes the gospel what it is, is grace. Grace, God's love, God's unmerited 
favor, which is the antithesis of karma. I hear a lot of people using that word today. Have you heard that? Karma? I even hear Christians using the term karma. Ooh, look what happened to him. That's some bad karma. In other words, karma suggests that the bad stuff that has come into your life, it was a result predetermined because of what you've already done. But grace is the antithesis of karma. Grace says you've done these bad things, but if you accept this gift, you will not get what you deserve. How many of you want what you deserve from God? Anybody? You really want what you deserve from God? All have sinned. And we say that, but do we understand that? I don't think we do. If we really understood all have sinned, then all of these seats would be filled. If we really understood that God's grace is a response to our sin, and because of that grace, I don't have to receive what I deserve. And if you want to take this idea one step further, if grace is the foundation of the gospel, then what is at the foundation of grace? It is none other than God's amazing love. And I love what the Christian writer and theologian C.S. Lewis, how he defines what grace is. He says, grace is the love that comes and stoops and rescues. Grace is the love that comes and stoops, comes down to our level, and then rescues. The challenge with the church today is that many of us as believers don't believe we need to be rescued because we think we're all right, not realizing that all have sinned fallen short. The problem is that too many of us as believers see grace as nothing more than an intellectual proposition and not a potentially transformative reality. And since love is the most powerful force in our world today and love is at the foundation of grace, then grace, when it is freely offered and gladly received, has the power to completely transform somebody's life. And if you had to select, and if I had to select one individual in all of Scripture that epitomizes the power of grace and what it can do to transform a life, in my humble opinion, the Apostle Paul would be that person. I believe he would win hands down. We read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, in verses 5 to 8, Paul goes on to talk more about this fact that the gospel is Jesus died, buried, and being resurrected. And he says that it's not something that I just heard about, but individuals have witnessed this fact. Over 500 people actually saw Jesus after he resurrected. But let's pick it up in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul continues to talk about the gospel of grace. Look at what he says. This is my favorite part of 1 Corinthians 15. 
He says, for I am what? The least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. And he gives us the reason why. He says, because I did what? Because I persecuted the church of God. I think that would qualify. What do you think? Look at verse 10. But, (laughs) with grace there's always a but. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen, brother. For by the grace of God, Paul is saying, I really don't deserve to be an apostle. I really don't even deserve to hang out with these guys. But because of God's grace, I am what I am. Not because of my intellectual ability. Not because of my Jewish heritage. But Paul says because of God's grace, because of that gift, because he died was placed in a tomb and rose on the third day. I now am what I am. And he goes on. And his grace toward me, Paul says, was not in vain. In other words, Paul did not take the fact that God was willing not to give him what he deserved for granted. But I labored more abundantly. Paul was motivated because of God's grace to do even more for the cause of God. And that's what should motivate us to do for God. Not feeling guilty, but because we've experienced his grace. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. I'm not going to brag, Paul says, but the grace of God was with Paul said, I persecuted the church, but he doesn't go into great detail about that. And he probably does not go into great detail because Paul assumes that by now everybody within the church knows Paul's story. Everybody in the church knows Paul's mess. Everybody in the church knows Paul's failings. And this is what we as believers have to understand. We need to stop judging other people because of their sins, simply because they sin differently than we do. I don't know if you got what I just said. You see, when somebody falls and it's wide open, why are you judging them? You're a sinner too. You just have a different sin and it's being clothed now. Let them open the curtain for some of us. No, let them open the curtain for all of us. Let's see how many people then will be walking around like this. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Gospel of Grace. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. 
Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and God's grace is a response to our sin. And this week, Charles Tapp helps to unravel the misunderstandings of what grace is and isn't with his message, The Gospel of Grace. Paul says, I am what I am because of God's grace. Paul knew exactly what he was saying. At the time, he was simply known as Saul as he persecuted the followers of Jesus. And if you read Acts chapter 7, we are told of the story of the stoning of Stephen known as the first martyr of the Christian church and how there were many there who stoned him. But when you read Acts, it only gives up one name, and that is his. Look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Look at what Scripture says. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. In other words, Saul put his stamp of approval on Stephen being stoned to death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But look at verse 3. As for Saul, who later became Paul, he made what? Havoc of the church. See, Paul didn't, Paul didn't say all that. He just said, you know, I persecuted the church. Now we know he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. And now he's an apostle. Try that in the church today. Let somebody have a fall like that and then make them a leader in the church. <laughs> Paul said, I know I don't deserve to be here. I know I don't deserve to be an apostle. I know I don't deserve to write all these epistles that will one day become the bedrock of the New Testament. But again, in verse 10, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. It's the weirdest thing, sinners trying to call out other sinners. Sinners looking down on other sinners. I have never understood that. Even criminals stick together. So when Paul says, I'm one of the least of these, what Paul is saying is, I'm undeserving. But I'm here because of God's grace. 
when you read any of the writings of Paul in the New Testament. The overriding message in each of one of them is grace, and grace is the gospel personified. Without grace, there would be no gospel. And it is clear that his understanding of grace is that it was never intended to be experienced in a shallow, committal kind of way. But grace was forever intended to be an exercise of the love of God, God's unfailing love, which stands ready to plunge into the heart of any and every and the most degenerate sinner. Paul talks about this as well. That's one of the reasons why I like Paul. Paul didn't try to perpetrate. Paul knew exactly who he was. Paul knew exactly what he was. But more importantly, Paul knew whose he was. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, a verse that I'm sure that many of us are familiar with. Romans 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound or that the offense might increase. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This word abound means to increase. And Paul says where sin increases, and I love how it reads in the Greek. I pulled it out this week. It says where sin abounded, grace overbounds. Paul could have easily said when sin goes deep, grace goes even deeper. You didn't get that. When sin goes deep, grace goes deeper. I love what Max Lucado has to say. I wish I had said this. He says, grace is God's best idea. He could have stopped right there and I would have said, yeah. Grace is God's best idea. His decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately and to restore what? Justly. And then he asked the question, what rivals it? Of all his wondrous works, grace, in my estimation, is the magnum opus. It is the greatest work. It is the supreme work. And I have to believe that. Because if it were not for grace, or oh, if I could sing the song I would sing, if it were not for grace, whoo. But I can't sing, so we're going to continue on in our message this morning. And here's the thing about grace, and that is that grace is most needed and grace is best understood when you and I find ourselves in the midst of the mess we created for ourselves. And maybe that's why some of us really don't appreciate and understand grace because our mess hasn't been exposed to the world yet. See, when your mess is open for everybody to see, you want all the grace you can get. You understand what grace really is then. But even though it's closed to human eyes, it is not closed to God's eyes. And all of us stand in the need of grace, but it's most appreciated and better understood, best understood, dear friends, when we're in the midst of the mess that we've created ourselves. And to that, 
Jesus responded with, when sin goes deep, my grace goes deeper. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, it calls for us to infiltrate and to place within the context of all our relationships this thing called grace. Every relationship that you and I are a part of should be permeated with grace. Peter has something to say about this. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Look at what he admonishes us to do. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Here it is. But do what? Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace. In other words, mature in your understanding and appreciation for what grace really is. And when you have fallen and your mess has been exposed to the world, you begin to mature in an appreciation and understanding of grace more than you ever did prior in your life. And one of the signs that you and I are truly maturing and growing in grace, please don't miss this. One of the signs, one of the telltale signs that you and I are truly getting a grip to what grace is, understanding it, have a good appreciation for it, is if we are willing to be gracious to others. And I'm not even talking about with the big stuff. I'm talking about because grace and being gracious is like sanctification. It happens over time. That's why Paul says grow in it. You're not going to be 100% when you start off, but grow in it. Amen? One of the signs is that we show that grace to others, even in the small things. Like when somebody is taking your seat at church. You know the seat. It doesn't have your name on it, but it might as well have your name on it. Because that's your seat. Everybody around you knows it's your seat. But a guest who's never been here before had the audacity to sit in your seat. And now you have come and basically you're telling them through your body language, it's time to get up out my seat. Well, see, if you really appreciate and understand grace, you will be gracious and find another seat. I saw a woman in one church pull out a gun because somebody was in her seat. I quickly went the other way. <laughs> or when you're at the grocery store and you finally have located a parking spot and you've got your radars keyed in on that spot and just when you're, some of you know what I'm talking about. You even put on your turn signal and just as you're about to turn into the spot, somebody comes out of nowhere and takes your spot. If you really are maturing in grace, You'll go, I'll find another spot. But if you don't really have an appreciation, an understanding of grace, you may throw up some signs. I don't know. Stop or something. 
somebody in the church has started rumors about you, talking about you. I'm going to another church. What do you think is going to happen when you get to the other church? If you and I truly begin to appreciate grace, we will be more gracious. And having said that, Christians should be the most gracious people on the planet because more than anybody, we should have an understanding and appreciation for grace than anyone else should. When people come in contact with one of us, they should go, that's the most gracious person I've ever come in contact with. Why? Because we are recipients of God's greatest masterpiece, his greatest work, and that is the gospel of grace. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Gospel of Grace. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages by subscribing to our podcasts on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. The truth is still the truth, even if what? No one believes it. A lie is still a lie, even if everyone believes it. Truth, it seems harder than ever to know what it is. And next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp examines this thing called truth and why for many, it appears to be such a difficult thing to handle, yet offers so much freedom with his message, The Trouble with Truth. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.